0: You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Micah Beckwith. All right. Well, welcome, Life Church. It's our Life Group uh, Preview Sunday. Thanks for being here. How are you doing this morning? Good? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm Pastor Micah, and uh, today we're going to talk about why we connect as a community. And God's Word really lays out the importance of what we're doing right here, the importance of friendships, the importance of church. So let me pray for us. We're going to dive into the Word and talk about the, the, uh, the power of groups. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you and we ask that you would just uh, open our hearts to receive from you today. Lord, uh, show us how you're leading us to connect with the community of believers, the Capital C Church. In this, in this building, in this town, and in this world, God, how we can link arms together and move the kingdom of God forward. So thank you for your spirit that empowers us and for your word that directs us. Uh, we love you. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. 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 All right. so um, if you're new here, we've got four campuses. We've got uh, in central Indiana, Pendleton, Fishers, Eagle Creek, and here in Noblesville, and uh, we're all talking about this message today. Next week we're going to be in 2 Samuel, we're diving back in, we're going to finish 2 Samuel, and then we're going to go into uh, John. It's going to be an amazing uh, year, but we want to start off encouraging you to link arms with people because we know when that happens, you're going to, be, uh, you're, you're going to live to the fulfillment and the, and the fullness of what God is calling you to, uh, to live to. So in, we're going to dive into the Word. This is a passage of Scripture, John 8. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. This is, I go to this often. I, I quote John 8, John 8, 32. It's all about freedom. And the Lord is the God of freedom, and he wants us to be free. And this is what he says. He's talking to the religious leaders of the day. Jesus said to them, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Okay, so this is, if you love me, you're going to keep my commands. You're going to do what I do. You're going to walk how I walk. Many people in our culture right now, they say, oh, I love Jesus. But if you look at their life, they do not follow the teachings of Jesus. It's like, well, do you really love Jesus then? You will know the fruit of the tree by the fruit that is being produced. You will know what kind of tree it is. You'll know that this is a good tree. This is an apple tree, not a peach tree. This is a A rotten tree, this is a healthy tree. You can see the fruit of the the people. And Jesus is saying that. You will really be able to see the fruit. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Right here, this is the secret to freedom. You want to be free? You've got bondage. You've got addiction. You're fighting things. Know the truth. Jesus is the truth. He's the way and the life. He will set you free. And he goes on in verse 33. He says, he, they answered him. They said, well, Jesus, we are Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, very, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. If you've sinned and you're in this room, you are just by, na- by nature, you are a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever so if the sun sets you free you will be free indeed if you're here at life church for any amount of time you will know this that we love freedom we value freedom and we tell everyone that we can far and wide we say god wants you to be free whether you're in noblesville or whether you're on the other side of the world god is the god of freedom his desire for you is freedom I've said it before, I'll say it again, the second greatest gift God has ever given us, second only to himself, is the gift of free will, of freedom. People have asked me, this, is Pastor Michael, why did God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden? If he would have just left that out, we would be totally fine today. There would be no sin, there would be no death, there would be no destruction. We wouldn't see the news, like, like uh, broadcasting all of this wickedness, you know, like p- pointing to how bad the world is. If God would have just left the tree out, why did he put that one tree there and gave, and t- to give Adam and Eve a choice? And you know, the answer is because God is the God of freedom. If he wouldn't have given Adam and Eve a choice to follow him, we would have never truly been free. And God values freedom that much. Our founders, America is a great story of godliness because it doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we get it right every time. But we were rooted on this, this heavenly principle that everybody has a right to be free. Amen. It's not given to you by the government. It's not given to you by another person. It's given to you by God. And he wants all of us to fight for freedom both in the physical sense, but also in the spiritual sense. Now, praise God, we live in the United States, and we don't necessarily have to have to walk in tyranny as much as some other nations do, but we are fighting slave, slavery. We are fighting uh, against bondage in the spiritual realm. There's addictions in this room. There's bondage in this room. There's heartbreak in this room. There are things that are holding you down. And to you, I will say this, God doesn't want that for you. He wants you to be free, and today's message is all, it's all designed around this aspect of being set free. Now, if you've ever seen, studied freedom, if you've ever studied history, you can always see there's always struggles for freedom everywhere. I mean, you can go all the way back to what William Wallace and, and what he did to, for the struggle for freedom. You can go to our founding fathers, what they did for, for the struggle for freedom. You could go to what's happening right now with the Project Rescue with, with the organization we are partnering with. They're, they're rescuing women and children caught in sex slavery. And it's a struggle. It's not easy. Why is it a struggle? It's a struggle because everything in the natural state and in the demonic state is pushing back against what God says. If God says there should be freedom for everyone, you know what the devil's going to try to do? He's going to try to throw you in bondage. If God says there should be liberty for you, you know what your flesh is going to try to do? going to throw you in addiction everything about the natural fallen state is that is, is going to go towards bondage everything what god says is going to go towards liberty we want liberty it's not man's idea it's god's idea if you've ever heard pastor rob mccoy from turning point uh, usa faith he'll come and he'll speak i love that phrase he uses it often he says liberty is not man's idea don't think that we somehow develop this idea that all should be free liberty is god's idea it came from the garden. It came from day one of creation that you have a right to be free, given to you by God. But why is everyone always fighting for freedom? Why is this happening? It's because there is an enemy that is very real. Now, Paul talks about this in Romans. and I love this passage in Scripture because if Paul deals with this, man, praise God, we are not alone. And this is what Paul says. I really don't understand myself for what I want to do. I want to do what's right. But I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. (laughs) It's like, praise the Lord if the Apostle Paul says that. I'm not alone, right? How often are you like, I know what I should do, but I don't do it. And then you're just like, Lord, I'm so sorry. Why am I such an idiot? You know what I mean? Like, why? And we've all struggled with this. He goes on in verse 21. He says, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Does that sound like you today? Sounds like me. I want to do what's right, but I inevitably do what's wrong. And he goes on to say this. He says, I love God with all my heart. I love the law of the Lord. It's not that I don't love God. It's just that my, it's just my sin keeps pulling me away from God. Why do I let this happen? The Bible says, like a dog returning to his vomit, so a fool to his folly, right? And we all fall into that same, same trap. That's really disgusting, right? If you've ever had a dog, and we, when Max, when we had Max, he would, he would eat our socks and then throw it up and then eat it again. And we're like, Max, what are you doing? And the Lord would be like, yeah, I know. It's kind of gross, isn't it, Micah? <laughs> like, whoa, hey, that's a little too convicting, Lord. That's a little too convicting. Okay? I love God's law with all my heart, but yet I still make mistakes. But there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin. This is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? This is the Apostle Paul. So, good news is, you're not alone. The bad news is, we've got to make a choice today. And the choice is not always going to be easy, but it is a choice for freedom. Now, This is what scripture, you may be saying, well, I don't know, I'm just going to let God do, do his thing. Well, that's good, let God do his thing. But you've got to choose to walk in that freedom. You've got to choose to extend your hand to the Lord and say, Lord, pull me up, pull me out, help me. You've got to choose to extend your hand to others. And that's what we're going to be looking at today with the whole group concept. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. This is what Proverbs 28 says. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. John, 1 John 1, 1.9 says, if you, confess with your, your, if you confess your sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness or wickedness. Now, some, I've been talking to some people who kind of stand on the, a little bit more on the far Calvinist side of things. And if you know Car- Calvinists, they're you know, they love Jesus and they're, you know, they're, they're great. I, you know, I no, no ill will towards Calvinists, right? However, they tend to see this, that we don't have a choice. If it's the extreme Calvinists, okay, I'm just generalizing here. They'll say, well, we don't really have any choice. There is really no free will. God does what God's going to do. He knows who's going to be in heaven someday. You're either, you're either part of the blessed or you're part of the condemned and there's really not much you can do. But I go to passages like this. And I say, if we confess. There's, a, there's something you have to choose to do. If you confess your sins, then you will be saved. So please know, I, I'm in the camp that says that God knows who's going to accept him, but God doesn't make that person accept him or, or, or reject him. You have a choice for freedom. Are you going to walk in that freedom today? Wickedness, that passage of scripture right here, it says uh, he will cleanse us from all wickedness. Some passages read unrighteousness. What is unrighteousness? It's everything in your life that's not right. -right Unrighteousness. God doesn't want you to have things in your life that aren't right. He wants you to be whole. He wants to give you life and life more abundantly. He wants to restore things that aren't right. But you have to confess your sins if you want that to happen. James 5 says this, James 5, 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So that you may be healed. Isn't that awesome? The prayer of a, a, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Now, please hear me. This is not a a works-based salvation message. I am not in any way, shape, or form saying that you can somehow work yourself into salvation. This is not about salvation. This is about healing. Very different. Okay, so salvation is only coming from the Lord. God forgives people of their sins. You cannot forgive somebody of their sins. But we go to God's people for healing. Now, if you're covered in the blood, I, I I want to make this... I said this earlier, uh, but I just want to drive this point home. If you're dealing with shame from past mistakes, things that are unright in your life, when the blood of Jesus covers you, when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the blood of Jesus washes your sins away. The Bible says he removes your transgressions as as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more. All right. So this is not about salvation. This is about making mistakes, sinful mistakes, not sinful nature. And if you have the blood of Jesus covering you, in God's eyes, you are righteous. Okay, So when it says the prayer of a righteous person availeth much and it has wonderful results, that's you. That's me if you have the blood of Jesus covering you. You get to be that righteous person in the eyes of the Lord. It doesn't mean that you're not going to make mistakes. It doesn't mean that you're not going to need healing. It just means that in the eyes of, of the Lord and in, in the reality of salvation, you are completely made whole there is no shame there's no condemnation when god sees you he sees you through the prism of the blood which then removes all of your sin so you can have right standing with him so you are forgiven you are whole the question is when you make mistakes where where's the healing going to come from it's going to come from the people of god it's not that god can't heal you he could miraculously say i'm just going to heal you right now he could do it absolutely but he chooses to use his bride to do the work He just does they will lay hands on the sick and they will be healed. You will go to the elders They will anoint you with oil and you will receive healing. God chooses to use his people for healing Another way you could say it is going to god deals with the sin But going to god's people keeps us from falling back into the sin Sin is going to bring destruction. It's going to bring pain It's going to bring heartache and you don't want to have to deal with that. It's going to hurt Okay, So that's why we have Connect to Grow. That's what this, this whole message is about. Now, Connect to Grow, if you've been here for any amount of time, this is part of our mission statement. So we have four pillars to our mission statement. The first is come to life, all right? Not come to life, church. Come to life in Christ. Now, we want you to come to life, but, like, you know, it come to life as well. It's kind of play on words. I just realized that in first service, and I was thinking, oh, that's kind of cool. I wonder who made that up. Uh, so... Uh, <laughs> Learning new things every day, right? Uh, okay, so come to life. The second pillar in that mission statement is connect to grow, which then leads to, do you guys know what the third pillar is? Find your purpose. purpose. Good. Purpose. Good. What's the fourth? Make a difference. difference. That's good. Guys, come on. We got we to gotta work on this a little bit, right? Okay. <laughs> It's okay. It took me about two years for me to know this too. All right. So Nathan would be like, Hey, what's our mission statement? Ooh, uh, look at the time. I, uh, I gotta, I gotta go. Uh, right. But come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Now the connect to grow piece is really the key. I would say in, in, in following the, the path, making a difference, finding your purpose. It's going, it's going to start with connecting with people. So at Life Church, this is how we do it. We are not a church with life groups, we are a church of life groups. We are a church that says we believe the small gathering of the saints is so key to our growth. That's why we create opportunities for you to get into life groups. We want as many people in life groups as possible because when you start doing life with 10, 12, 15 people, they get to know you, they get to walk alongside of you, they get to pastor pastorally care for you and you get to do the same for them. You begin to grow. I was reading a book a few years ago. It was about the largest church in the world. Anybody know where that church is? South Korea. In Seoul, South Korea. The pastor there is just a prayer just machine. This guy is a prayer warrior. And, and he, was, uh, he was asking, how do you pastor a church as large as yours? His church, collectively, on Sundays, they would have 750,000 people meeting to worship. <laughs> yeah. Don't let me, I don't want to hear it when you say the parking lot's full out there, okay? <laughs> Just remember, 750,000 people had to find a spot to park, okay? That's, uh, I don't know how they do that, okay? Logistically, there's probably many campuses and all that kind of stuff. But the one thing he did say, he said, I can't pastor a church of 750,000 people. There's no way. He said, we break it down. He said, our church is life groups. Our church is groups. He said, they had over 50,000 small groups, life groups. He said, that's where the growth is happening. And I am, I am every day pouring into the group life of our church. That's how people are growing, knowing the Lord, coming to life, doing great exploits through the power of the Spirit. You want to do that? Get involved in the church. It doesn't have to be a church of 750,000 people. It could be a church of 100 people. Get involved in a small community. Get involved in that group. So we are a church of groups, not a church with groups. And today's all about previewing those groups. Elijah talked about it. Denise uh, is our life group coordinator. Uh, Denise Dye, I don't is she in here? Denise, are you in here? Oh, there she is right there. Denise, stand up. Give, give it up for Denise. She's, she's wonderful. She has a heart for groups, and she's going to be the coordinator for this campus to help you get plugged into life groups. So if you want to be invo- involved of a group that helps you grow, talk to, talk to Denise. We also do what we call free market life groups here. We, we say, listen, God has given you a passion for something. Maybe it's riding motorcycles. Well, you could start a life group that is, that is centered around riding motorcycles. I have a motorcycle. If you want to do that, let's go. I'm good with that, right? Maybe you like to do underwater basket weaving. I don't know. Like, but maybe that's a thing. And you're like, you know what? I want to I get people together so we can do underwater basket weaving. Okay? Like, and so the things that come into my mind, I don't know how they get there. I'm sorry. It's just like I say the first thing sometimes that pops in. And that was that. Um, uh, so, but if you like that, you can build a life group around that. You can center it around community in Christ. You can pray for one another. You might talk about scripture you might start a life group that's all about the book of revelation david barker has has a great end time Uh, yeah where's david is he in here no he's not in here i think he comes third service but he he has a great end time uh, prophecy life group so we do we do these types of groups to inspire you to grow and you're going to be able to preview all that today next week you're going to be able to sign up so if there's be praying between now and next week lord what groups do you want me to get involved in and let him lead you in that, because you will really start to grow. Because in this life group setting, this is where relationships will happen. And when relationships happen, it just becomes, it unlocks your gifting. I've heard it said this, this is a great, many, many authors and people who study healthy relationships and cultures, they'll, they'll say, the cultures and the people that are healthy, the, the most healthy, are the ones that have strong relationships, but even more so than that, they have strong friendships. And then it's contagious. It leads to other people diving into friendships. You're going to be somebody that is going to actually be able to draw others into your group. You're going to unlock their potential. It's going to fire you up. You're going to say, look what God has done through them. Praise the Lord. And they're going to look to you and they're going to say, you were the hand that I reached out to that pulled me into this group. And we're going to see people just begin to come to know the Lord in droves. And it's just going to explode exponentially. Remember, uh, Billy Graham was interviewed once, and he said, he was asked after, at the end of his life, he, he was, he, uh, the interviewer asked him, he said, if you could change anything about how you did your ministry, would you change anything? And he said, absolutely. He said, I've thought about this many times. You know, Billy Graham had the large crusades, thousands upon thousands of people came to know the Lord through those crusades. And he said, if I could change anything, he said, I would focus on building relationships with 12 men and then I would pour everything I could into those 12 men. And then I would tell each one of them to go out and find 12 to pour into. And I would, and then they would find 12, and then the others would find 12. He said, and he, no joke, he said, if I would have done it that way, taken all the resources, time, and effort that, that I did on the big crusades, if I would have done, poured in that way, he said, I would have been far more effective for the kingdom. That's amazing if you think about it. Billy Graham, was one of the most effective evangelists that we've seen in the 20th century. And yet he said, if I would have done it this way, if I would have gone back to the friendships that are contagious, the relationships of small groups, he said, I would have been more effective. That is the church, it's the principle of the 12. God has always done this. He's shown us through scripture. Jesus had his 12. He had his really close core three that he relied on, right? This, was, this, is, this is a godly picture on how to be effective and grow. Now, the power of groups is something that that really you're going to see in your life if you begin to walk through this. So I want to I want to highlight something just the the how or or what you're going to experience when you come into these groups and how the Lord might peel back the layers in your life to help you receive that healing. All right? Cuz we all need healing and we all we all have to be honest with ourselves. There's a there's a there's a a graph, it's called a Jahari window. It's a, it's a self-awareness g- graph. It, it's kind of a quadrant-type type graph. And it basically says, you, you'll fall into one of these four quadrants occasionally. And it's really about the power of accountability. It looks like this. You've got these four quadrants. This is known to you, known not to you. This is known to others, and not known to others. Okay? And so there's going to be areas of your life where in, in the group, you're going you're gonna to experience people like this, or you yourself might be in one of these categories. The first one is this. It's the arena, okay? This is where, um, this is where everyone, it's, it's how you want to be known, and it's how people know you. you. You know, and they know. You're not, and it's really, it can be very exhausting. It can be very tiresome to live up to the, the expectations that you have for yourself and that others have for you, and Jesus addressed this, in, in scripture, and in, in, he, he would come across these people who were religious leaders. They were the, called the Pharisees, all right? He did not have a great relationship with most of the Pharisees, and here's why, because they were trying to put on a show. This is what they would, this is what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He says, everything that they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide. What are phylacteries? Phylacteries were the little, it was the little box that they would tie to their forehead, and it had the law, the, the Torah in it, Okay, so they would make their phylacteries wide, it was, so they didn't want a big, a big box. So why, why would you do that? You would want people to know, I'm super holy, right? Hey everyone, look at me, come see how big God's word is on my forehead, right? You know, That's what they were doing. The problem is, God doesn't want the word here, he wants the word here. But they would do that, they would make these, these phylacteries wide. And then the tassels on their garments would be long. Tassels represent prayer. They want people to know, hey, I'm a really good prayer. You should listen to my prayers. Come, why don't you come to 21 Days of Prayer? Listen to how good I pray, right? If anyone ever says that to you, just rebuke them in the name of Jesus right there, okay? (laughs) God doesn't want the show. He wants the honesty. He He wants it to be legitimate. He wants it to be authentic. And so the Pharisees weren't authentic, and so Jesus called them on it. And then he says in, in Matthew chapter 23, uh, verse uh, 27, just a few verses down the, down the way, he says this, woe to you, Pharisees, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You guys are not who you are showing to be. You think that you've fooled everyone, and maybe you have fooled everyone, but I see into your heart, you're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead bones. And everything is unclean. If you ever go to Jerusalem, you'll see the Mount of Olives. And there's all of these white ossuary boxes, these, these tombs. And it's really beautiful. I mean, it, it's very, it's, it's actually pretty cool. Like, it's just this huge mountainside that's got all of these tombs in it. Right? And it, and it looks cool. But if you stop and think about it, it's like, those are, those are bones in there. That's, that's, a, that's a hill of death. And that's what Jesus was saying. He's like, you think you look pretty cool, but really... You're just, a bunch of, you're just a bunch of dead people on the inside. You're playing in the arena, and in a group setting, people help you actually live an authentic life. You begin to peel back the, I need to put on a show. Which leads us into this next, this next area. This is the mask area, okay? This is known to you, but not known to others. Now, this is, this is your secrets. These are things you are hiding. In the arena, everyone knows both. They, you, you know and they know. In this area, it's, they don't know but you know. Now, we all have those secrets. We've all struggled with those secrets. You, you know the things that are holding you back from walking a pure, authentic life with Christ. The question is, are you going to you gonna, you gonna pull others into that? Are you going to open, open up the mask, take the mask off, and reveal some of those secrets to other people? Because if you don't, you're only going to stay as sick as your secrets. You want healthy healing? You want whole healing? You've got you to invite people in to, to this process with you. This is what the Bible says even, too. The Bible talks about the physical destruction and, and uh, lack of health you will experience if you do not invite people in to your secrets. It's, it says this in Psalms 32. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. This is, this is Now, I think this is kind of where the Catholic Church started. This is this idea of confessing sins to one another. Now they've gone off the rails, and, and the, now you have humans giving forgiveness for sins. Please hear me. A human cannot forgive you of your sins to the, that washes you white as snow. That's only Jesus. Only God can do that. That's why the Pharisees had a big problem with Jesus, because they would ask Jesus often. They would say, I heard you forgive somebody's sins. You can't forgive somebody's sins. And they were right unless he actually was God right? And he would say, well, only God can forgive people of sins, and I just forgave somebody as, of their sins. So you do the, you do the math, right? You know? <laughs> but, but the idea behind the confessional, going into confession, was actually this, it started in a place of, I need someone helping me walk through this. And that's a good thing. That's a godly thing. That's what we need to do. We probably have gone a little too far on the other end of the ditch, In the Protestant church, where we don't tell anyone about our our sins. We put on a good show. We have a mask. We hide things. But no wonder we're, we're struggling with health, physically and spiritually. It's because we aren't confessing our sins one to another. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Selah or interlude. This is, a, this is a song that David wrote. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. So I said it earlier during worship. I've said it at the beginning of this message. Are you struggling with guilt? Are you struggling with shame? God doesn't want you to carry that. He wants you to be free from that. How do you become free from that? Confess it to the Lord. And bring other people to walk alongside of you into your life. Let them know. Confess it to others. I'm going to tell you right now, there is no condemnation. If there's anyone that says, "Oh man, I, I, that what you did is is not right," you know, and how could you ever do that? Well, that's a, that's a self righteous spirit, and we're not going to put up with that here at, at Life Church, right? Because we've all been there. And if you think you're better than somebody else, I got news for you, you ain't. If I think I'm better than you, I got news for me, I ain't. I ain't. Well, both, it doesn't matter. It's, it's bad English both ways. All right. Okay, good. So, uh, But, but we're, we're all in the same boat. We've all sinned. So there's no, there's no condemnation there. C.S. Lewis had a great quote. He, he said, this is, this is what defines friendship. He said, friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what? You too. I thought I was the only one. Right? How many times have you just taken a step of faith and said, okay, I'm going to I'm going to let somebody in. It's a risk, but I'm going to let you in. And then you let them in, and what, nine times out of ten, what they're going to say is, oh, man, I struggle with the same thing. That's what that, that passage in Romans is so cool. It's when Paul the Apostle says, I struggle with doing wrong even though I know I shouldn't do it. That is one of those, oh, good I'm not alone. And if Paul struggles with this, I mean, I'm certainly not of the Apostle Paul, so, you know, okay, if God, if God could use the Apostle Paul, then he can probably use me. That's the beauty of the gospel message. Colossians says this in chapter 4, Epaphras, so he was, he was Paul's guy. He was the guy that was praying for Paul, that Paul was letting in, that was, that was part of the church of Colossae, and he was, he was, basically praying for the church. He knew some of the sins and secrets that they were struggling with. And he says this, uh, Epaphras is a member of your own fellowship, and that he's a servant of Christ Jesus. He sends you his greetings. He, is o- he always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. Well, how does he know that you're following the whole will of God? Because you've let him in. You've let him in. You've told him the things that you're doing. You've told him the struggles that you're having, and he goes before the Lord and he prays. For you, that's the power of an intercessor, prayer warrior. When you let a prayer warrior, especially someone gifted in in intercessory, into some of those struggles that you're having, boy, things change because they take it to the throne in ways that you you never could. And that's that's how the body works. The body works. Someone's gifted. I'm I'm not really gifted in intercessory prayer. Like I I pray, but man, there are some intercessors in here that they just have the gift, right? It's the same thing, like, I, I, you may say, well, I'm not really gifted in, in worship. I worship, and I praise, and I sing, but I'm just not like Devin or the team. Like, I can't, I can't do it that way. That's okay. You've gotta, you, you, you do it, but they really have the anointing to lead in it, right? Same thing, intercessory prayer. You may not have the gift of intercessory prayer. You, you pray, but somebody who's anointed in that gifting, boy, it's just, it, things change when they start to pray, that's the power of opening up and letting people see behind the mask. Groups will, will, groups will do that. They will create those environments, the safe places where you can get vulnerable. You can get real, and then real healing starts to come. And then, then you have the blind spot, right? Now, we all know what this is. This is, the, this is the hanger, right? You know, you got something hanging in your nose, and like your, your, your wife is like, uh, honey, uh, she's looking at me right now, she's like, yeah, I know. I have to do that more now. It's like, as you get older, it gets, it gets. For some reason, you get more of those, and I don't understand how this works, right? It's, it's oh, that's too far. Okay, don't forget. <laughs> she's like, Mm-mm, this is a bad path, Micah. Don't go down that path. Wait, listen. It's like sometimes she's across the table. Like she's like, hey, I'm like, keep it down. No, no. Like, stop saying that. No, you have a booger in your nose. <laughs> she's dying over here. Because it's true, right? You've done this multiple times. Don't act like, like she's, a, she's an etiquette coach and she's on WIBC talking about etiquette. I think this would be breaking protocol right now. <laughs> I think. I might, I might have to ask her. All right. But this is the blind spot. We all have them. You think you know something about yourself, but, but you can't see it. Well, groups help to expose that. People say, hey, Micah, have you... Have you ever noticed this about you? Like, this might be an area of correction. This might be an area the Lord wants to, to help you grow in. And we got to be humble enough to receive it. Very, I mean, normally what happens is it's like you get defensive. You kind of like, you'd be like, what do you mean? Like, I don't, no, that's not me. That's not, I, I don't have that. But, but we got to fight against the, that pride. If you're humble enough, man, people can help you become an awesome you, people can help you walk in in the life that God has called you to walk in, if you're humble to receive the criticism from those around you. This is what Proverbs said. Pastor Nathan uses this a lot. I've heard him say it because we've walked through this as a church quite a bit in the last three years where people get mad when we speak truth. But Pastor Nathan always goes back to Proverbs 27. It says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Think about that. If someone's telling you only what you want to hear, only flattering you, they never tell you hard things, they're probably not a friend, and most likely they're the opposite of a friend, which is an enemy. But we've had to speak hard truths to people, and sometimes people don't want to hear it. But we're doing it out of a place of love, and I've had that happen to me, where someone spoke a hard truth to me, and I didn't want to hear it. And they say, Micah, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. I'm only telling you this because I love you, man. I'm telling you this because I want what's best for you, and it, it hurts. It wounds you. But they're faithful, and it will lead to, all, it'll lead to healing if you have the humility to walk in that. You know, the last, 20, last week of 21 days of prayer, what have we been talking about? We've been talking about humility. Why is humility so important? It's so that you can be made whole. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Hebrews 3 says it this way. Be careful, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning away from the living God. Well, how do you you stay careful? You have people in your life saying, hey, there's a a warning here, brother. Like, I'm warning you. Like, don't go down this path. This isn't good. Like, I see something in you. I see a blind spot in you. I'm warning you. I want you to be faithful. I want you to stay connected to the Spirit. I don't want you to walk away from the Spirit. And you know what? Sin will harden your heart. It It goes on to say, you must warn each other. In verse thirteen, you must warn each other every day while it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. You know, I, I had—I've I, told the story before, but I think it's so—it's so pertinent for this message. I had a friend, and still—I still consider him a friend to this day. I don't know if he would say the same about me, but I, I do love him. And uh, but he was a friend of mine, and we used to work together. And he ended up going down the life of homosexuality, a path of homosexuality. He left his wife and and ended up marrying, I say marrying because it's not really marriage in the eyes of the Lord, but he, he married another man. And I, I remember going over to his house early on and I, I sat down with him, I said, dude, I said, I said, what are you doing? And he said this, he said, Micah, Jesus loves me. I said, yeah, I know he loves you. I didn't, I didn't say he doesn't love you. I said, what are you doing? He said, but I love Jesus too. And I know that he wants me to be happy. And I said, I, no. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be obedient. He wants you to have joy. There's a big difference between happiness and joy. And he said, well, but I still love Jesus. And I said, I don't question your love for Jesus right now. I said, but what I know about sin is that it will harden you against God. It's not God getting hard against you. It's not God saying, I'm done with you. God doesn't say that. He says, he keeps fighting for you. But sin, if you choose to go down a path of sin, an unrepentant sin, if you choose to go down the path, I said, "You, I'm not worried about if you die today. I'm worried about what's going to happen if you die 30 years from now. Because you might totally walk away from the Lord between now and then. Because I've, if I know the truth of the word, the truth says that sin hardens and separates you from God. And, and he said, "Oh, well, that's not going to happen. I said, all right, well, I love you. I'm praying for you. And then I left. And I haven't seen him to this day, but I have seen him on social media. And, and I have seen this progression of him going down a path that is further and further away from the Lord. I don't think he's involved in a church anymore. I don't, think he, I don't see him necessarily you know, being outspoken about his faith as much. And he's going down and he's doing some things that are just completely ungodly, and he's posting about it. And I just—I go back to that conversation six, seven years ago. I'm like, man, that's what sin does. And if you have the humility to let somebody in to help you walk that out, you won't. Your heart won't get hardened against the Lord. It'll be the—it'll be the sin proof that you need. Again, I'm not saying this is not about salvation. This is about staying soft and having a heart that's always looking at Christ. And then once you do that, when you bring people in, here's the beauty. Because I don't know your full potential and you don't know your full potential, but God knows your full potential. And that's the last box. We both don't know what we're about to unlock. But when we walk hand in hand, when we walk linking arms together, our potential goes through the roof. And God begins to pour His spirit out on us in ways that we could never have imagined This is God's system for you finding how to be that person that you know you should be. The person that Paul talks about in Romans, I want to be this person, but I always do this. Well, how? What are the practical steps, Pastor Micah? This is it. Get into a group. You will unlock your potential. You will be able to stand up and say, boy, God has healed me of my addictions, of my pain, of my hurt, my, my struggles. God has healed me. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you are perfect does not mean you will not make mistakes again. But it does mean when you do make a mistake, we're there. We're going to pick you up. We're going we're gonna to help you brush yourself off. And vice versa, when someone else falls, you're going to be there. You're going to help them be, get picked up. And you're going to brush them off and say, hey, God's got this. I got you. Come on, let's go. God's system for finding your potential and getting close to others and him. That's what we call discipleship. That's really what it is discipleship. And, you know, Scripture in Proverbs there's a great verse about discipleship. It's Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen. It says this. It says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Now, have you ever sharpened something with iron? It's loud. Sparks fly sometimes. <laughs> it's abrasive. Sometimes it's like, oh man, this is not like I don't like the sound or what's happening here. But if you power through, what do you get? You get a really sharp tool that does a really great job when that tool is needed. That is exactly how the body of Christ works. Let people sharpen you and you help sharpen them. And together, together we are 100% better. We're stronger. As we wrap up here, I want you to remember this verse, Deuteronomy 32 verse 30. It's this principle about what happens when you link arms with somebody else. It says this. It says, one can chase a thousand, but two can put 10,000 to flight. Think about that. You would think two could just put 2,000 to flight. Uh Uh-uh. It goes up exponentially when the power of two come together. Amen? Hey, we're going to have the worship band come out, and we're going to close which is, I think, a song that is, it's an old hymn. It just says, Abide in Me. And it's a song that basically just encourages us to to abide in Christ together, connected together in the Spirit of the living God. And as we connect with others and connect with Him and abide with each other and abide with Him, you will, I promise you, if you do that in 2024, you will look back and you will say, I had a fantastic year of growth. It won't always be easy it won't always be fun the wounds of a friend might be a little tough at times but you will look back and you will say this that was god was faithful and so were his people god was there and moving in my life that's what we want for 2024 if you were encouraged by today's talk be sure to rate us share with a friend and hit subscribe on spotify itunes or wherever you stream your podcasts our mission is simple come to life Connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.